0: Winnipeg police use forensics officers to figure out who left paint on the walls of police headquarters. Trial of Ottawa area teacher for sex crimes illuminates how sexual abuse is enabled by a circle of friendly colleagues. The Calgary Stampede takes 100% liability for sexual assaults that happened to its performers over two decades. Huge settlement awarded in Child Services Funding Gap case. Stellantis makes record profits and possible coup d'etat in Niger. Good morning. It's Thursday, July 27th. I'm Nora and here. Here are your headlines. First, we start in Winnipeg, where the police there never seem to run out of ideas of how to be even worse than they were the day before. Recall that people have been struggling to force governments to search the Brady Road landfill. One person, Trade Lennox Ronde, was arrested for scaring a security guard at the site. The Winnipeg police press release says that, quote, rocks were thrown at the truck causing damage, unquote, that's the truck of a security guard, as if uh, truck lives matter, which to police we know that they do. Anyway, on Tuesday, Delarond had been in police custody since his arrest earlier that day. Several people came to police headquarters to chant and yell their support for Delarond. This is a normal thing that people do when their friend and comrade has been detained. As part of the protest, some people placed red handprints on the building. Red handprints are a symbol for murdered and missing Indigenous women. The group, Winnipeg Police Cause Harm, caught an image of a forensics investigator tracking the prints as part of their investigation into what happened, as if that wasn't plainly obvious. But as many people pointed out online, the Winnipeg police seem to care more about red paint on the walls of the cop shop than they do about murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls in Winnipeg. Next to the trial of Rick Depetti, a high school teacher at St. Matthew High School in Orleans, Ontario, near Ottawa. De Petit is on trial for 14 sex crimes involving four former students, reports Gary Dimmick for The Ottawa Citizen. Gimmick's report paints a picture of how easy senior administrators brushed off the allegations against De Petit when he first warned them that something might be coming in the press. This kind of quiet network has, for generations, protected sexual abusers, and it's interesting to see the network see the light of day in these court proceedings. So, here's the story. De Petit told longtime friends and colleagues that they would be hearing about news of his sexual assaults hit the media soon. One former vice principal, who still works on contract, John Purificati, responded to say that he knew that the allegations made against De Petit were false. When pressed by the assistant Crown attorney in court this week... Pirificati said that he didn't recall writing that email, though lawyer Stephen Albers reminded Pirificati that he had read the email to detectives who had interviewed him for the charges. Pirificati defended himself by saying he meant to be supportive of Petits as they were friends, but he didn't know the details of the accusations against him. They, along with a few others, regularly hung out at cottages together in the summer. Pierficati said that they never heard complaints that Depaty was abusing students, and instead, the complaints were all related to him being a tough math teacher. Depaty has denied the charges against him. I won't detail the charges, but let's just say that they range from him being too close to girls that he was teaching, touching them inappropriately, and in one case, a list of allegations that are straight up unambiguous sexual assault. Despite complaints that were eventually made against De Petit, he was allowed to continue teaching. Something that the Ontario College of Teachers and the Ottawa Catholic School Board are investigating. Now to another story about youth sex crimes. This time it's in Calgary. I have to back up to tell you this one though. A guy called Philip Hirima was sentenced to 10 years in prison for abusive acts that he committed against six members of a group called the Young Canadians. The Young Canadians performed nightly at the Calgary Stampede's Grandstand Show. The abuse happened from 1992 until 2014, but probably started earlier than that. When I say probably, that's, I guess, lawyer speak, as the article goes on to say that one of the survivors of the abuse had reported being abused by Hirima in 1988. He had told back then the grandstand show executive that he was experiencing abuse, and the way that they responded made the survivor worried that he might be kicked out of the young Canadian's troop. There's a class action that names 70 people who said that they were abused by Harima, reports CTV News' Mark Villani. Yesterday, a settlement was reached when the Calgary Stampede accepted 100% of liability damages related to Harima's actions. Punitive damages have not yet been determined, nor have they sorted out how the money would be paid out to the survivors. The stampede, quote, takes full responsibility in the hopes of helping victims to heal, unquote. The statement read, They promise to take, quote, meaningful steps to enhance the safety and wellness of our youth participants, unquote. Now to some good news, or better news, anyway. The Canadian Human Rights Tribunal has approved a $23.4 billion settlement for First Nations children, youth, and families who've been harmed by the federal government's systemic underfunding of Indigenous child welfare services. The process started back in 2007. The legal action tried to address Ottawa's consistent underfunding of child welfare services delivered on reserve. The Canadian Press article, as it appears in Global News, doesn't explain by how much they were underfunded. But reserves were given consistently less money for child services that children off reserve received. This meant that on reserve services had to do more with less, despite problems compounded by local issues like remoteness and food security, but also the complex impact of colonization. Anyone who qualifies will receive at least $40,000 in compensation. To put that into perspective, survivors of the Sixties Scoop were mostly given about $25,000 each. Cindy Blackstock, who's the hero behind this decision, said this, The tribunal called Canada's discrimination willful and reckless and a worst-case scenario because it separated children unnecessarily from their families and created other serious harms, including the tragic deaths of some children. They will now have to figure out what the process will be to distribute this money. With the experience of the 60 Scoop settlement and the residential school settlements, the hope is that the problems that plague previous settlement disbursements will be addressed. Next to Detroit, where Stellantis has reported a record $12.1 billion in profit for the first six months of 2023. Their profit is up a whopping 37%. Stellantis makes Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep and Ram vehicles. Worldwide vehicle inventory is up to 1.37 million vehicles from 845,000 a year ago. Folks aside, when I say that I'm pro this epidemic of car theft, this is part of the reason why. On Twitter, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib reminded people that Stellantis was fined just $137,000 for illegally dumping pollution into black neighborhoods. They pay $5,000 more for each additional fine, amounts that she says are absolutely worthless considering their massive profits. But let's not forget that Canada, in our incredible generosity, has promised Stellantis $15 billion or more than $7 million per promised job to build an EV battery plant in Canada. Divesting the Canadian state so that Stellantis can make even more money seems like, oh, I don't know, a super bad idea. But here we are. And finally, to Niger, where soldiers have said that they've removed President Mohamed Bazoum. He has been detained by members of the Presidential Guard at his official residence in Niamey. In a televised broadcast, Colonel Major Amadou abdraman said that, quote, we have decided to put an end to the regime that you have known, unquote. They announced that borders are now closed and there is a curfew. Niger neighbours Mali and Burkina Faso, as you will recall either from Knowing Geography or from me mentioning this yesterday when I talked about Mali's military leadership being sanctioned by the United States. Niger has been one of the last Western allies in the region. The African Union condemned the coup, saying that they were acting in treason of their Republican responsibilities. Agence France-Presse reports that the streets of Niamey, while there are military people around, had no evidence of violence and traffic in the capital was normal. President Bazoum has been in power since April 2021. Contrary to Mali, Niger remains an important partner with France. France and the EU have strongly condemned the coup. Those are your headlines for Thursday, July 27th. I'm Nora. You are listening to this podcast at sandynora.com on the Real News Network podcast feed and syndicated on-campus stations across Canada. I hope you have a great Thursday and I will talk to you tomorrow.